are coming into the final two weeks of our series, Christian Clichés. Hard to, hard to imagine that we've been at this for, for this many weeks. I had somebody after first service say, I don't want this series to end. And we've had some really amazing feedback from you about the conversations that we've been having, about these interesting little sayings and Christian cliches that we tend to use, sometimes without even thinking. And uh, they, they oftentimes are opportunities for us to try and encourage one another, but sometimes they just kind of miss. They just kind of miss um, on what our desire and our intention is because they just don't make sense to somebody. They maybe aren't the right timing uh, for the cliche. But we've been looking at intentionally the things we say, both inside and outside the church. And we're wanting to consider the biblical founding of these sayings, but also to revisit the value of what we're striving to communicate. Because there is rich value in some of the things that we say if we can understand that maybe we can say them differently or the heart can come through in a different way. But I have appreciated the feedback, and I I believe this series has been one that has caused many of us to think differently about the ways in which we attempt to encourage one another. The reality is community and relationship is messy. When we come together and we, 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 we come together in this type of a setting or in life groups or in any type of relationship, it's messy because we're people. And we're all a little bit different and unique. And we, you know, my mom, my mom used to say, you know, you're, you're special just like everybody else. You know, you're very unique. But, but you know, we, we come together and sometimes we say things that we don't mean or we say things that we do mean that don't come across the way that we hoped that they would be meant to come across. At times we say things that are hurtful. We do things that are um, breach trust. And this attitude of relationship is not something that's easy. And I'm here to tell you we have to work at it because all too often we, we miss it. You know, healthy community requires love and trust to be the foundation. If we don't start there, then we don't have anything to build relationship off of. And the reality is grace and forgiveness have to be given regularly because we hurt one another. We say things that aren't kind. We disrespect people. We, we have a, a, you know, a collision of beliefs or opinions or thoughts on things And we tend to place an emphasis on those things and not our relationships. And we leave people struggling to see the value in community. So we have to be willing to give grace and mercy and forgiveness. You know, last week we unpacked the saying, everything happens for a reason. We talked about that one for a while, discovering that in all things God is working. But we also came to understand that while God allows things to happen, he does not always cause them to. There are horrible things that happen in this world. There's evil that exists in the world. And while God allows things to happen, he's not the one who causes us to experience evil. He's not the one who causes us to face destruction or hardship. Today, I want to take a closer look at a saying that is most definitely rooted in Scripture. Some of these sayings that we've been talking about are definitely not 
rooted in Scripture as much as we want to make them sound Christian-y or, you know, like they're out of the Bible. This particular one is found in the Bible, but often is misapplied or, or drives us to a circumstantial belief in God's sovereign power. So the saying is this, if you just have enough faith, if you just have enough faith, fill in the blank. We've all heard it, probably even said it a time or two. Maybe some well-meaning person in the church said, you just have enough faith. If you just pray, I'm confident that every one of us has been in a situation where we've said or heard somebody say, if you have enough faith, you'll get that raise. If you have enough faith, you'll meet your future spouse. You'll live happily ever after. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed of your cancer or you'll finally be able to get pregnant if you have enough faith. If you have enough faith, your son will be freed of his drug addiction. If you have enough faith, your candidate will win the election. And even if he doesn't win the election, maybe he'll come back and win it after and get installed as president. Invariably, we've all at one time or another probably thought the same thing. If I pray hard enough, if I just pray hard enough, I will nail this job interview and I'll get the job. If I pray hard enough, the Blazers will finally win a championship. Maybe not. If I pray hard enough, professional baseball will come back to Oregon. Come on. Or if I pray hard enough, the city of Albany will approve the building of an In-N-Out burger so I don't have to go to Kaiser Station and sit in that dumb line for two hours. And all you double-double eaters said, amen. So what does it look like then to have enough faith? Does it mean we have to be the next Billy Graham and stand before thousands of people and proclaim the gospel? Does it mean we have to serve people like Mother Teresa in a distant country, thousands of orphans and widows? What does it mean to have enough faith? You know, the question surrounding faith naturally becomes, is faith a commodity of which you can have more or less? In order for us to really answer this question, we should probably look to see what Jesus has to say regarding faith. Our text today is found in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. You can also join us in the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device and uh, just search events, neighborhood church, and you'll find us. But Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14 it says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boil, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have 
Faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that we have the privilege to step into relationship with you through the shed blood of your Son. That you invite us into community with you. And then in that, Lord, we can experience what it looks like to have faith. But too often, Lord, we get caught up in the circumstances of life and we begin to look at faith as something other than it is. So I pray that you'd help us today, Lord, that you'd speak through your word and help us to understand what it means to live a life of faith. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray you that blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage, Jesus is given an opportunity to heal a young boy. He's dealing with this oppression from this demon, and in, in, in the midst of that, he's having these seizures. And he's literally throwing himself into the fire or into the water and, and very much in a, in a place where he's at risk of harming himself. And Jesus drives the demon out of the boy and instantly it says he's healed. It's, it's, it's interesting though, in, the, in this passage we see a rather direct rebuke from Jesus. Right? Would you say that the conversation that he has with the disciples is a pretty direct one? You know, he's not like, oh, you guys, here we are again and we have this opportunity to, to, to glorify God and, and heal this young boy and you guys just don't get it. Oh, shucks. Right? Is that the attitude that we see from Jesus? No. You unbelieving and perverse generation. It's pretty harsh. A little bit direct. Maybe a little bit offensive if you're on the receiving end of that. But Jesus is frustrated because he sees the lack of faith. He sees the lack of belief. The central theme of, of faith and God's response represents one of the greatest dichotomies in our walk with Christ, in our Christian journey. Faith and what happens. And if we believe that, that God is still a God of miracles, why do opportunities or why do doors of opportunities open for some but not others? Why does financial blessing seem to rest on some and others seem to struggle financially no matter how faithfully they give? And why are some healed of sickness or disease and others are not? It begins to test our understanding or our faith in God. There's an author by the name of Pastor Doug Conley and he wrote a book entitled Miracles what the Bible says. And he shares his own experience saying, I was already running late for our midweek service as I hurried down the hospital corridor. The woman sitting in a wheelchair watched me intently as I approached. I gave her a weak smile and kept walking. Hey, she shouted after me, are you a preacher? My first thought was, is it obvious? My next thought was, I'll keep moving and pretend I didn't hear her. The next thought was a gentle nudge from the Spirit of God. 
I stopped, turned around, walked back to her and said, yes, I am. Why do you ask? Her response broke my heart. Why doesn't God heal me? I've prayed and I've prayed, but I don't get better. My pastor told me that if I had enough faith, God would answer my prayer. What more can I do? And she began to sob. I wish I had taken the time to explain to her that God had not left her alone, that her father was not sitting in heaven dangling the gift of healing overhead while she tried to ship up more faith to him. But sadly, this woman's mindset persists in this cliche, if you just have enough faith. And it oftentimes leads us to great guilt and heartache when we face difficulty in life and don't see an outcome that we expect. Like so many of the other Christian cliches that we've discussed, reconciling what we read in Scripture with what we experience in life is not as simple as a catchy saying. So is the key to just having enough faith? Is that it? There are a few principles that I believe will help unlock our understanding of faith and of God's perfect will. The first thought is this. Faith is a gift of belief, not a work of our own. Faith is a gift of belief. When we step into relationship with Jesus, when we step into relationship with Father God, we are given the gift of faith. Because we've said, I believe, God, that you are who you say you are. I believe that your son Jesus came and died and was resurrected so that I could have life. And faith becomes that belief, that trust that God is who he says he is. But too often we tend to classify faith as something we do, not as an outpouring of our belief in Jesus. You know, let's, let's start by de- defining what faith is. Now we're going to go person on the street here for a quick second. So this is, where, this is where we get a little bit interactive, okay? What does it mean to you when I say the word faith? Go ahead, shout it out. If you're watching online, go ahead and type in the chat box. What do you think faith is? Okay, wait. I'm hearing a bunch at the same time. Belief, okay? Trust. Others? What was that? Hope? Yeah. I put the students on the spot this morning in first service, and they just looked at me like it was a two-headed woodpecker. So I won't try that again. Faith is all those things. Belief, trust, hope. Webster's Dictionary defines faith as a noun. It's not a verb. It's not something we do. Faith is something we are. Allegiance to duty or a person. Faith is belief and trust and a loyalty to God. Or firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Faith is something that is believed, especially with strong conviction. Faith. Matthew chapter 9 starting in verse 18, says this. 
While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. Jesus was in this situation where he's being questioned by the religious leaders of the day and the scholars. And while he was answering them, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I can only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. They went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Talk about rapid-fire healing. Jesus was just going out, going, going, here and there, and boom, healed, boom, raised from the dead, boom, healed, 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 healed. And what, would, what did he say? Do you believe that I can do this? And it was the faith that caused the hand of God to move. You know, our faith and belief in Jesus should most certainly lead us to action. It should move us to a point of action, but we can't cannot mistake our, our action for actual faith. There are many people who are busy doing many important things and many necessary things. And all too often, we sometimes will mistake our busyness for faith. I'm doing this, and I'm reaching out here, and I'm giving to this, and I'm contributing here, and I'm doing all these things. And God says, do you believe There are times we get busy doing a lot of good things, but we can easily forget that God is desiring to lead and guide us in our lives. Look at the picture of Mary and Martha. We all choose sides. You know you do. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. We get busy with all these things in life, 
doing all these important, wonderful things, preparing for God to show up and do something amazing. And he's saying to us, would you just spend time with me? Would you just believe that I am who I say I am in your situation and in your circumstance? Because we can easily overestimate the value of work done for Jesus with the real importance of time spent with and a faith in and belief in Jesus. We can mistake all those things that we're doing for the real value of being with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word. Because we see repeatedly throughout Scripture, Jesus either commend people for their faith or point out how little faith they possess. If you just have the faith of a mustard seed, that's the level of belief. When we come to a genuine faith in Jesus, it should then direct our steps of action, not the other way around. Busy, 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 busy. Oh yeah, God, where, you, you're here. Yeah, let's, let me, let's get you involved. We know that Scripture emphasizes the importance of faith coupled with action. We know that Scripture, faith without works is dead. But we can't get things backwards. It's important that we remember faith comes as the natural overflow of our belief in God. Faith is a gift. It's not a work of our own. It's not anything you can do. God gives it to us or gifts it to us through Jesus so we can't manufacture faith through an act of will. If I, just, if I just believe, if I just think, if I just think, I think. It's only through our belief in Jesus that faith can truly take its foothold in our life. We have to understand that faith is a gift of a belief. Faith is a gift of belief, not anything we can do. The second thought is this. Faith rests complete in God's sovereign will, not just his ability we oftentimes get wrapped up in, well, God is almighty. God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants, so I need him to do this right now. God, show up. It's the shorter, shorter to cook God. You know, he's got his little, little weird hat thing on or some restaurants. It's the straight one. And I just need this, and if you can take care of that, I won't bother you at least for another 15 to 20 minutes. last week we spent a fair amount of time discussing that we have a tendency to focus on the why behind difficult and unexplainable situations. Why doesn't this happen? Why did that happen? Oftentimes in these situations people will challenge someone to just have more faith. Or if you just believe it'll, it'll all be okay. The reality is not every situation in life Turns out okay. There's evil in the world. There's evil that we do to one another because we're imperfect. God is trying to perfect us, but it takes time. And not every situation turns out great. And when things don't turn out the way we think they should, we have a tendency to focus our faith on God's ability. And the natural consequence of this line of thinking leaves us asking, if God could heal, if God could deliver, if God could provide for me and for our family, why didn't he? Is he an absent God? 
Is he asleep? Why? Why didn't he provide when I asked? So it's important that we understand the difference between God's sovereign will and our desired outcome for our lives and that of those we love. Because those two things are not always in harmony, our plan and our desire and God's. Sometimes they're in complete conflict because we're chasing something that we want or we desire. So let's start by discussing the difference between God's sovereign will and that of the moral will we are given, or we like to call it free will. God's sovereign will represents the fact that God does all things according to his perfect will. And guess what? We don't get to see all of it. Yes! Blind trust and faith is what we're about. But God's sovereign will is his perfect will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of whose will? His will. Not my will, not your will, his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So he's accomplishing his perfect will for your glory, for my glory, no, for his glory. It doesn't always make sense, especially right in the thick of it. And then there's the moral will or our free will. And there are, there are things that happen that are definitely not God's will. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That means we have a choice. We can choose to respond to God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness, or we can choose not to. But God's desire is that none would perish and that what all would come to repentance so there's this, there's this moral free will that we possess that is at times in conflict with God's perfect and sovereign will. All seems pretty straightforward, right? Ish. Straightforward-ish. Until we unpack this a little bit further. Would we all agree that God's moral will and commandment forbids murder? This is the interactive part. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, we're all, we're all on board with that. We see, do not, you know, thou shalt not commit murder. You see the Ten Commandments. Exodus 23, 7 says, have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. So we shouldn't kill innocent people. We all on board with that? Don't murder innocent people. Okay. Well, what about God's sovereign will when he sent his only son to be murdered? Well, how do we reconcile that? Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together 
with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Wait, what? So God ordained Jesus to come to the earth to be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me so that we could have life, so that we could have restored relationship with Father God. That was his sovereign, perfect will. Well, but we're not supposed to murder. But Jesus' whole purpose was to come and be the sacrifice, to be murdered. The question becomes, does our faith rest in God's sovereign will or our desired outcome? Because they're not always in harmony. There's a gentleman who's, who's, who's passed on now, but his name is Joe Bailey. And he wrote a book the, about, about grief and loss. It's called The Last Thing We Talk About, Help and Hope for Those Who Grieve. And in his book, he tells about his experience, and he experienced the unthinkable. He had three sons. The first died at 18 days old after a surgery. The second son died at five years old from leukemia. And his third at 18 after a sledding accident. Can you imagine losing your three children? I can't even wrap my, my brain around that. We have three kids, Elijah, Micah, and Leah. I can't, I can't imagine losing one of them, much less all of them. He related that a month or so after his five-year-old died, a well-meaning Christian told him that he would not have died if Joe and his wife had had more faith. Do you really believe that, Joe asked? Yes, I do, the man replied. Joe responded, do you believe it enough to pray that your own child will become sick with leukemia so that you can prove your faith? The man was quiet for a long moment and then said, no, I don't. Have we ever been in that moment where somebody said, you just had enough faith? If you would have just prayed harder, that wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have gone that way. And there's a part of us that just wants to cry out. You know, embracing the sovereign will of God means we will not always understand the reason things turn out the way they do. We can only have confidence that God is working in and through our circumstances for his glory. And it oftentimes does not make sense on this side of eternity. It doesn't make sense in our lifetime of why these horrible things happen. So we've got to come to a place of understanding that faith is a gift of belief. It's not anything that we can do. And faith rests complete in God's sovereign and perfect will. Not in just what he's able to accomplish. The final thought is this. Faith is the gift of knowing God is fulfilling his perfect will. It's a confidence in God's sovereignty, even when we don't understand we, we said it at the outset, faith is a gift, it's not something we can will or accomplish, 
But true faith embraces a trust in God's will no matter what the outcome is. Trusting in God is who he says he is, that he's got us no matter what we're facing. Faith trusts the unconditional and unchanging love of God in all things. God is love. And that doesn't change. So this means that even when terrible things happen or things don't turn out the way that we had hoped, we understand that God's with us. That he's with us in the storm. He's with us in the struggle. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's one of the greatest promises that we find in Scripture. And yet how often do we find ourselves in the midst of a situation and feel like, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself in the most human moment that we see in his life and ministry is as he's hanging on the cross. Right before he takes his last breath, he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a vulnerable moment. Understanding not that God had turned his back, but that God had allowed this to happen because of his perfect will because of his great love for you and for me. So do we receive the gift of faith given us by our loving Father through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit? Because if we do, we need to remember that God's love is without failure. His love is eternal and it's perfect. And the work of redemption and forgiveness is done through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's because Jesus said yes to the plan of the Father that we can have life, that we can have relationship with one another and with God. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to a life of faith and belief in the perfect will of God. Because faith is belief and trust in knowing that God's will is perfect. You know, one of my favorite movies as we prepare to close is the movie Apollo 13. I don't know if anybody's you've seen that. It's probably on my top five list. I love, the, I love that movie. I love the history, but I also just love, you know, it's just a great movie. And there's this scene where the astronauts have sustained damage, right, in the spacecraft. And they've gone from the, the, the modular, you know, the, the, the space module over into the limb. And they're in there and they're trying to, you know, repair and fix whatever, you know, as they prepare to come back out of orbit into, into Earth's atmosphere. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And people on Earth are watching all the different reports and, and they're uncertain as to what's going to happen and, and, and if they're going to make it home. And there's a lot of apprehension. And they go into the living room of, of Jim Lovell, the, the captain of that particular mission. And the news is on and, and, and everybody's watching the TV and Marilyn Lovell, his wife, is there. And they broadcast this interview with Jim Lovell. And you remember? And he's talking about how when he was flying his jet in the Air Force, he had an instrument malfunction and there was some, 
some interference and his instruments weren't working. And so he was literally flying blind. And it was getting dark and it was getting to that point where he couldn't differentiate or distinguish the direction that he needed to be going to find the aircraft carrier so he could land. And as he's trying to figure out what direction he should go and struggling to find his point of navigation, his cockpit goes dark. All of his instrument panels go black. And now all of a sudden, the darkness overtakes him. And out before him, he sees this, this green carpet. He calls it a carpet of, of, of phosphor, phosphorus algae that's being churned up by the propellers of an aircraft carrier. He finds himself in this place where he can be guided back to safety because of this algae. And he follows the trail, lands safely on the carrier, and as his wife Marilyn's watching this interview, he says this as he concludes the interview. He says, you never know what events are going to transpire to get you home. And it's like that with faith. Faith is the gift to know that in all things God is leading us home. He's leading, him, leading us back to himself and his will and his plan for our lives because it's perfect. It may not seem like it in the moment. It may not seem like what we need or what we want or what we're expecting, but his plan and his purpose is perfect if we can have faith, if we can believe God. God gives us the gift of faith, and as Jesus has made clear, a little faith is enough faith. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you lead and guide us in our lives, that when we step into a relationship with you and we, when we say yes to your plan, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect or it's all going to be easy. But God, when we say yes to you, that gift of faith and belief allows us to trust you in the moments we can't comprehend, in the situations that don't make sense, in the loss that plagues us, leaving us asking why. So this morning, Father, we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our plans and our dreams purposes that we've set forth for our lives. We ask that you would reveal your perfect will to us, that you would lead us and guide us as we surrender control and we allow you to fulfill your perfect plan in our lives. Help us to trust you in those moments of vulnerability when we see everything going the wrong direction and we don't know why. God, that that gift of faith would be awakened in us to know that you are still working, that you still love us, that your plan is still being carried out. We ask today humbly, knowing that we can't do that in our own power, but it's through the Holy Spirit that we can step into your perfect will. So God, we thank you. We ask that you'd help us. 
And this morning, whether you are sitting here in the house or you're tuned in online, perhaps you find yourself in that state where you say, I've gone through life, I've tried to do all the right things, and it, and it seems like nothing's really worked out the way I had hoped. I'm struggling to understand why. Our desire is that you would understand that God loves you and that as you step into relationship with him, that gift of faith is awakened in your heart to allow you to trust and believe and have faith that God is working all things for your good. So this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond and to say yes to a relationship with God, to say yes to following Jesus with your whole heart. It's the greatest decision we can make. And so this morning, we're not going to ask for a show of hands. We're not going to ask you to run to the front. We're only going to ask that you would say this simple prayer with us. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so as a church family, as a community of believers who are not perfect, but are striving to follow Jesus with our whole heart, we want to say this prayer with you. So we invite you to say this with us. Would you say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing promise that no matter what we face in life, the faith and the belief and the trust that God is working will bring us through it and at some point will bring glory to God in the things that we face. Each and every one of our lives is a testimony. It's a story that shares hope and life and peace in the midst of possible circumstances. We're grateful that you were here today. Thank you for tuning in online. Excited for the week ahead of us that God would use us and guide us and lead us. We would invite you as you go out to uh, check out the, the fundraising table and grab an envelope. Be a part of supporting uh, this amazing ministry to foster kids and their families. And as we go out of this place, let's make a committed decision to be the neighborhood to everyone with whom we come in contact. God bless you. Have an amazing week.